All right. Now, I'll tell you what I would like to have you folks uh, have for your book to read. Now, we're not going to follow it in uh, just the way it is, because the way it's, it's given, but uh, we want all of you to read the book Education. How many of you have the book Education? I wonder how many of you have the old edition. Do you know what I mean by the old edition? It's a bigger book. And I'll tell you something very interesting about this book. And if you don't have this, then uh, you would, if you could get with someone that does have it, I'll tell you why. You may not know this, but all, um, all of the original books that Ellen G. White put out in their original form all are not only in chapters, but they have subtopics. I mean, they have uh, general headings. The chapters are under general headings. And the book Education is different from all the other books that she has written because in the original, in the original book, she outlined it herself. Did you know that? You'll find at the, little, uh, at the side little statements. And this is all the way through the book Education. It's very interesting. You'll find these. And if you will read those... Now, I read this book through many times before I thought it, this had any real value. And then I began to realize that these little statements on the index of the original book were the questions that she wanted us to find the answer to. I'll give you an example in uh, the first chapter. It's the source and aim of true education. And then there are 13 statements on the side of that first chapter. The one is, what is education? And then the next is its source. And the next is the true higher education. And then education in Eden, then God's purpose for man, then marred and, and restored love, the basis of education, the revelation of God, nature's teaching insufficient, the standard of truth, individuality, a highest ideal. Now, these are the things that we should get out of this first chapter. Now, as I said, we're not going to study the first chapter as it is, but uh, I hope all of you during this course will read the book Education through and read it through carefully. And if you don't have one of the books that has this in it, I think it, you would really get much more out of it if you could get hold of a book and write in your own, in, uh, in your own uh, margin these statements because they give you what you're supposed to find in the book Education. And Ellen C. White herself uh, is the one that, that outlined this book uh, so that we would know just what it's talking about. All right, our text today is Isaiah 55. We're going to start with the sixth verse. Isaiah 55, beginning with the sixth verse. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, for he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, I think I gave you the illustration yesterday as to why no two people reading the same thing may get exactly the same thoughts. Do you remember the illustration I gave? Or did I give it? I've, I've given so many talks lately, I'm, I may not have used this. Did I tell you anything, say anything to you about dogs yesterday, or didn't I? Or when we had that class? All right, well, we'll use this illustration. If I say a word to you, that word is going to form a picture in your mind. That's the way we think. This is how we communicate with each other. I say something and you immediately see a picture. This, the spirit of, spirit of prophecy calls this flashes of thought. And these things flash into my mind. So when I say the word dog, every person here would get a different picture. You know why? Well, you'd think about a different dog. Some might think about a Pekingese and some about a St. Bernard and somebody about a Collie and somebody else a German police dog. And so immediately you get a picture in your mind of something. Now, the reason that we don't think like God does and that God doesn't think like we do is that we have been so educated in the wrong way that when a word comes to my mind, immediately I have a thought about it. 
And when I say education to you, you wouldn't think at all like God thinks when he says education and when he, when he speaks about education because all of us have been entirely wrongly educated. Do you agree with that or don't you? From our very earliest years, we have had the wrong kind of education. So when I think of education, immediately I look and hear somebody with a cap and a gown. Here's somebody graduating from college. Here's somebody with a Ph.D. Now, there's nothing wrong with these thoughts, but they do not at all, they do not at all give the picture that God gives when he says education. And so during this class, and as we study this class, we're going to try to get our minds so when we say something about education, whose thoughts are we going to, are we going to be following? God's thoughts. You see the difference? I read to you in the class, in the orientation class, that there were two kinds of education. There was worldly education, which was to be, which was to be used for this world, and there was what other education? Christian education, or, or education for eternity. And so, during this class, in the principles of education, we're going to try to rethink the vocabulary that has to do with education. And as we rethink that vocabulary, then we're going to think whose thoughts? We're going to think God's thoughts. Now, uh, we think, now just to give you an illustration of, of that, I'm going to read from volume eight of the Testimonies, page 314. There is a science of Christianity to be mastered. A what? Now, Christianity and education and redemption and life are all synonymous terms. On pay, on, in the book Education, on page 15, uh, is the restoration of God's original plan, or his original image in man, and this says, to restore in man the image of his maker, to bring him back to the perfection in which he is, was created to promote the development of body, mind, and soul that the divine purpose in his creation might be realized. This was to be the work of redemption. This is the object of education, the great object of life. Then what three, what three words there are synonymous? Education, life, and redemption. They're all the same because we will always live, I hope, don't you? Redemption is a process by which we get life and it's the, it's the restorative process, and uh, education is just another name for the way we get redemption and our training for life. Now, now back to this statement that I, that I started to read, page 314 of the book, a volume 8 of the Testimonies. There is a science of Christianity to be mastered. To be what? You think it's important we master the science of Christianity? A science as much deeper, broader, higher than any human science as the heavens are higher than the earth. The mind is to be disciplined, educated, trained. For we are to do service for God in ways that are not in harmony with inborn inclination. There are hereditary and cultivated tendencies to evil that must be overcome, often the training and education of a lifetime must be discarded. Must be what? Often, the training and education of a lifetime must be what? Discarded. Yeah, but look at all I have, and look what it costs me. Look how much time I spent getting it. But folks, if God says something it'd be, it'd better, it should be discarded, what do you think? And why, it is, why is it, do you think, it has to be discarded? Because when we hear these words that have to do with education, we get the wrong picture in our mind. We get a picture that isn't God's picture at all. It's a picture of man's ideas. And this is why it says, often the training and education of a lifetime must be discarded that one may become a learner in the school of Christ. Become a what? Now, what is necessary in order for us to become a learner in the school of Christ? You have to discard many times the education and training of a lifetime. Well, now, that isn't easy. Did you know it says that in the last days, the, the lips of children will be opened or proclaim the mysteries that have been hidden from the minds of men. Is that? All right, I'll give you that statement. Uh, it's in uh, Fundamentals of Christian Education. Four seventy-three. 
This is talking about the Bible in our schools, and it says, Great truths have lain unheeded and unseen since the day of Pentecost. What has? Well, is it time somebody began to dig these truths out? Great truths that have lain unheeded and unseen since the day of Pentecost are to shine from God's Word in their native purity. To those who truly love God, the Holy Spirit will reveal truths that have faded from the mind and will also reveal truths that are entirely new. They will start into action forces that cannot be repressed. The lips of children will be opened to proclaim the mysteries that have been hidden from the minds of men. Now, why do you suppose children are going to understand mysteries that, that, that men don't understand? Huh? Well, God will show them, but what is it that blocks out? What is it? No previous education. That's exactly right. You see, there's a law of psychology, and I don't use laws of psychology very much, but it says the mind tends to act again in the way or manner in which it has acted before in any well-defined exertion of its energies. Now, that's a pretty big <laughs> mouthful of words, isn't it? That means that when once I begin to think down a track, what do I do? I just follow that track. And whenever I think, whenever I read something, it goes down that track. So you and I have thought along certain lines so long that when I hear something, my mind immediately goes down that track because it's easier. It's already made. And children who have preconceived ideas are going to learn lots of things that you and I may never learn. But thanks the Lord, he is able to blot out some of these things. And if you and I are willing to discard the training and education of lifetime, God's going to teach us some wonderful things. And we're going to have to do work for God that is not in harmony, it says, with inborn inclination. Somebody says, well, you know, we should just learn to do the things we like to do. Well, that isn't the way my Bible reads. That isn't the way the Spirit of Prophecy reads to me. The Lord's always asking me to do the things that I don't really want to do. Have you ever had that experience? But thank the Lord when we surrender our lives to Him, we like to do them. We want to do them. We're going to have to change our whole thought process because we have been educated uh, in the wrong way. Now, in the book Education, I want to get into the, into the thoughts that we were studying the other day because this is the basis of our understanding of education. I read the statement that was in the book Christian in the periodical Christian Educator in August 1897. And this was a statement. Now, as never before, we need to understand the true science of education. What? True science of education. If we fail to understand this, we shall never have a place in the kingdom of God. You think a lot of people are going to be are going to fail to get heaven because of wrong education? Absolutely. It's absolutely essential to understand the true science of education. This is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. If this is the price of heaven, shall not our education be conducted along these lines? Along the lines of what? Knowing God. You see, it's real important that we get our education from the one who has life to offer. Because education is going to give us life. What kind of life? Do we have life now? Well, I'll read you a little statement that uh, says something a little different. This is from the book Mount of Blessings. In my book, it's 96. It's in, according to the index, it's 61. So you can put that reference down. Notice this little gem. God is the fountain of life. Is what? We can have life only as we are in communion with Him. Separated from God, existence may be ours for a little time, but we do not have life. So what has God given us here? A little period called an existence. And as soon as we come to... a a knowledge of God and a communion with Him, we come in contact with what? With life. And we have life only as we are in communion and contact with God. He is the source of life. Separated from Him, you see, we have what? We have no life. We only have death. All right, now, 
on page 14 of the book Education. It, it says this, In order to understand what is comprehended in the work of education, we need to consider both the nature of man and the purpose of God in creating him. We need to understand what? The nature of man. Now, this is real important because we have to know what man is like, what he's capable of, what man was made for, and we have to know why God created him. Now, we went back and we, we studied some of the things about the beginning of creation. I want to review that with you. We studied about the first being that God created, and who was that? Lucifer. And if you remember something about Lucifer, what kind of a being was he? What was it? That's good. He was as, as near as possible like God as he could make him. And I'll give you that reference. Uh, that's the comment on Ezekiel in the description of Lucifer in the 28th chapter of Ezekiel. Oh, I got the wrong book, Isaiah. No wonder I can't find it. Lucifer, before his fall, was a covering cherub, distinguished for his excellence, distinguished by his excellence. God made him good and beautiful as near as possible like himself. What's that? That's 4 B.C. 1163. It's a comment on Ezekiel 28. God made him good and beautiful as what? As near as possible like himself. And we also discussed the fact that there was something made before Lucifer was made. What was it? The sanctuary. How do you know it was the sanctuary? Now talk a little louder. I'm a little hard of hearing. And I, you have to talk out if, if I hear you. And besides, you need to learn to talk out anyway. What was the reason? How do you know he? Uh, how do you know it was created before? What was the reason? He was a part of the living furniture of the sanctuary. He was a covering cherub. And so, folks, this makes something very significant. The first thing God ever created when He started to create was the sanctuary. As we study education, as we study God's relation to man, we're going to realize, as we never realized before that God has always had just one problem, and that's the human race. Before he ever started to create anything in the universe, he created the place where sin was going to be taken care of. And we'd also discussed, and I want to go over that again, we discussed why it was, why it was possible for beings to sin. I've had people say, why in the world didn't God make us so we couldn't sin? Well, I tell you, I'm glad God didn't make us so we couldn't sin. Because if he'd have made us that way, we, would have, we wouldn't have been capable of any development at all. We would have been animals, we'd have been sheep, or something like that. At least if we'd have been uh, beings with minds, we would have had no possibility of development. Do you remember the statement that I read? And this was uh, in the Watchman magazine in 1906. I, I copied this in the flyleaf of my Bible. I thought it was such a wonderful statement because this made something very clear to me that I had understood somewhat before, but this just brought it out into real clear lines. Watchman, May 1, 1906. Uh, why did God allow all this, fear, all this fearful iniquity that man might be free? And that's a question. To this there can be but one answer. It was because he knew the worthlessness of all forced obedience and that the freedom to sin was absolutely necessary to the possibility of righteousness. The what? God knew that to have forced obedience was to stop all development. And we discussed a little bit about children. You know, we wouldn't any of us want to have handicapped children. Those of us who have children, we, do, we wouldn't want a child that was just like a vegetable. You see, uh, a child that is normal isn't as much problem as a child that is not only normal but intelligent. Intelligent children are, are more problem than anybody else. They think too much, and you have a hard time disciplining them. 
But in spite of all that, I, I, I don't want a handicapped child because I want them to develop. And you see, the higher the intelligence, the more they have an opportunity of development. And so God made beings with the, with the power of choice, and he knew that someday someone would decide not to do his will. And so he made arrangements for it. He didn't plan for it, but he knew it was coming, and so he made arrangements for it. All right, now back to this, to, to creation. Lucifer was the first being that was created. He was created as a part of the sanctuary. Uh, the sanctuary was the place where God had ordained that he should take care of sin. Now, we probably won't get into that in this study on education, but you'll have some studies on, or you have had some studies on the sanctuary. Now, after Lucifer was created, the angels were created. And then the universe was created. Now, I don't know what involves the universe, but I've read a little about it. And this universe is so, is so extensive. It has such infinite uh, size. It's beyond our comprehension. I read a statement not long ago that came out in a, in a scientific magazine that they had discovered a million island universes. An island universe is a galaxy which is like our galaxy or larger. Our galaxy is that part of the universe which is which is has a swaddling band called the Milky Way. Did you ever see the Milky Way? Well, the Milky Way is the swaddling band around this galaxy of ours. It's an island universe. It's 3,000 light years thick approximately and 6,000 light years across. Now, any of you know what a light year is? Well, light travels 186,000 miles a second. In other words, it doesn't, go, it doesn't go in circles. It goes straight. But it could go around this earth over seven times in one second. And a light year is how fast light would travel in one year. But that would be a, quite a little distance. And this, and this galaxy of ours, this, uh, our uh, stellar system as it's called, is 3,000 light years thick and 6,000 light years across. And this is one of a million they've already found. And as they get their larger telescopes, they're still looking. And, they're, and they, they're sure that beyond this, there's still more. Now, I tell you this, because uh, God is a God of this universe. And this little world of ours is called this little speck of the world. It's such a... It's not, it's not a, a speck of dust compared to the earth as what we are to the rest of the universe. I tell you all this because it makes us realize how important it is that God has the relation to this earth that he has. All right, we go on with creation, and creation was completed. And the time came somewhere in the chronology of time that all the works were created, the, cre the universe was created, and it came time to create this world because in the plan and providence of God, this world was to be the last of his creation. And when he made the announcement of the creation of man in heaven, the Son of God did, I read the statement to you. We'll read it again. It's, page, it's early writings, page 145. Early writings, page 145. Now, if there are any questions any of you have, I, I don't mind your stopping me. And if, if we, what we have isn't plain... Satan was once an honored, this is 145 of early writing. Satan was once an honored angel in heaven next to Christ. Where was he? Next to Christ. His countenance, like those of the other angels, was mild and expressive of happiness. His forehead was high and broad, showing great intelligence. His form was perfect, his bearing noble and majestic. In fact, he was what kind of a being? Did we already find out? He was the highest being that God could create. As nearly as near as possible, like himself. But when God said to his son, let us make man in our image, Satan was jealous of Jesus. He wished to be consulted concerning the formation of man. What did he want to, what did he want to, what did he want to have uh, counsel about? The formation of man. And because he was not, he was filled with envy, jealousy, and hatred. He desired to receive the highest honors in heaven next to God. Now, these are very significant statements and as we get into the, into the study of the nature of man. Remember, we're studying the nature of man and God's purpose in creating him. We begin to realize that Lucifer understood some things 
that we haven't understood. When the announcement of the creation of man was made, Lucifer said, I want to be consulted regarding this. And because he wasn't consulted, and he couldn't be consulted, he wanted to enter the counsels of God. Now, if you want additional, uh, you want to read additional on this, you read the chapter in uh, Desire, I mean, in Patriarchs and Prophets, the first chapter. Uh, read the chapter in Great Controversy, The Origin of Evil, and you read the first chapters of the, of the book Story of Redemption. I'm giving you this if you want to go and, and read into this because we can only spend a little time. In fact, I just want to say this right here. If you don't do some outside research, if you don't do some studying on your own, you're not going to get too much out of any class. I've read some statements, and I, I'll just repeat them here. There's a real danger, folks, that we're living in a time when we're going to be deceived. And I quoted the statement, or I read the statement, I'll quote it now, from Education, page 231. The mind that depends on the judgment of others is certain sooner or later to be misled. And perhaps I should read this statement. I'll just digress here a minute because I think this is important. I read from Great Controversy. And it was a chapter, The Scripture's a Safeguard, and it was on page 598. Ignorance will not excuse young or old nor release them from the punishment due for the transgression of God's law because there is in their hands a faithful presentation of that law and its principles and claims. It is not enough to have good intentions. Folks, there's a lot of religion in the world today based on wishful thinking. Did you know that? Did you ever hear anybody say, I wish was this and I wish I was that? Well, it's all right. It will give you just as much satisfaction as it will wishing you had a horse to ride when you don't have one. Wishes don't get you anywhere. Christianity is not wishful thinking, but a lot of people think it is. It's a science of salvation. There are certain things that you do and you get certain results because they're based on unalterable, unchangeable laws. It is not enough to have good intentions. It is not enough to do what a man thinks is right or what the minister tells him is right. His soul salvation is at stake, and he shall search, and he should search the scriptures for himself. However strong may be his convictions, however confident he may be that his minister knows what is truth, that is, this is not his foundation. He has a chart pointing out every waymark on the heavenward journey, and he ought not to guess at anything. Ought not to what? Folks, we shouldn't guess at anything. It is the first and highest duty of every rational being to learn from the Scriptures what is truth and then to walk in the light and encourage others to follow his example. We should day by day study the Bible diligently. We should what? When? Day by day. Well, you know, some people say, well, but you know, I, I, can, you know, I can just uh, study every few days and catch up. Well, you can catch up just as well as you can eat every few days and catch up. I'm sure there's nobody here has any problem at all missing meals, at least if you're a normal person. We manage to get there on time, and we manage to eat our share. Did you ever go to the table and say, well, I think I'll just smell it today? I'll watch you eat. That's good. Do you think we ever do this spiritually? We'll just smell it today. That's all you're doing in class, just smelling it. You're not going to get it till you study it yourself. Or you can watch you somebody else eat. Now, I... I'm talking today, really, what I have, what I'm giving, will be of no value to you unless you go to the source and read these things and study them and get them for yourself any more than it will somebody eating for you. It is the first and highest duty of every rational being to learn from the Scriptures what is truth and then to walk in the light and encourage others to follow his example. We should day by day study the Bible diligently. Weighing every thought and comparing Scripture with Scripture with divine help, we are to form our opinions for ourselves as we are to answer for ourselves before God. All right, now back to the thought. Uh, we were talking about being deceived, and there's a real danger we'll be deceived because Satan is in the business of deceiving people. And we were discussing about the fact of Lucifer rebelled in heaven because he wasn't called into counsel regarding the creation of man. And he couldn't be called into, into the counsels of God regarding... He couldn't be called into the counsels of God, and there was a real good reason why he couldn't. Do you know why? Well, there were things in the council that he, that he couldn't deal with. 
And I read this statement. I want to read it again. This is the last comment on the book of Hebrews. And this is one of the most tremendous statements. Well, these are all tremendous statements, but this one is really a special one as far as I'm concerned. Uh, It's volume 7 of the commentary, page 934. It's the last comment on the book of Hebrews. Let those who are oppressed under a sense of sin remember that there is hope for them. The salvation of the human race has ever been the object of the councils of heaven. The what? Ever since God has existed, when they've had a council, they've been discussing what? Can you imagine that? You know, as we get into this study, and, and I'm sure you already, you folks know this in your study, I'm sure I'm not telling you this, anything you don't know, you and I do not have any reason in the world for planning our lives. God has planned our life and every circumstance of our life from the days of eternity. All we have to do is just find what the plan is. Did they have time to do it? Oh, yes, they had an eternity to do it. They have carefully outlined and detailed everything in this earth. They have made arrangements for every soul to be saved if they want to be saved. Nobody will have any excuse because we have been surrounded by predetermined circumstances. You say, well, this is predestination. Well, not exactly in the ordinary sense of the term. God hasn't decided whether we're going to be lost or not. He knows whether we're going to be lost or not, but you know who's going to decide that? We are. If He gave us the power of choice and He he permitted this whole terrible experiment of sin to come because He wanted people to have the power of choice, He's not going to take it away from us now. He's going to carry it right through to its end. All right, now notice what this statement says. It says, The covenant of mercy was made before the foundation of the world. It has existed from all eternity. It has existed from what? And it is, it, is, it is based and surrounds what? The sanctuary that was the first created thing. So surely as there was never a time when God was not, so surely there never was a moment when it was the delight of the eternal mind to manifest His grace to humanity. Read that statement. If you, you have the commentary, this is 7b, uh, or if you have the commentary in its large form. I tell you, I just like to read this statement once in a while. These are the things that make us think as God thinks. It makes our mind think like God thinks. All right, now back to what we were talking about. Lucifer wanted to enter the counsels of God. You see why he couldn't, don't you? For first of all, he was a created being, and he wasn't—he it wasn't intended that he could enter the counsels of God. He wanted to enter the counsels of God. He wanted to become a member of the Godhead. He wanted to be like Christ because he saw something about the human race that he didn't like. Well, we go on with the story. Uh, Lucifer rebelled. He went out and he began to tell the angels how unjust God was and how that they had lost their freedom and all kinds of things, you know. And uh, the angels began to sympathize with him. And Lucifer finally came to the place. I'm sure he thought he had probably more angels than he did. And he was called into the council and God counseled with him. And it says in great controversy that Lucifer came to the place where he recognized. You'll find this in the chapter. I'm not going to give you where it is. You can do some of this research yourself. It says in the, cha- in the chapter, The Origin of Evil, that Lucifer came to the place where he recognized that he was wrong. And if he had been willing to confess his wrong, just think what he would have escaped. But when he realized what he would have to do, it affected what in him? His pride. And he couldn't admit, he wouldn't admit that he was wrong. So he went on with his rebellion, and he finally came to the place where he said he would never again give allegiance to the Son of God. And so as a result, God said, you're going to have to leave heaven. We're going to have to put you out of heaven. And Lucifer says, I'll fight for my place here, because he had some followers. And so all heaven was marshaled into companies, getting ready for a battle. And I asked this question, I'll ask it again, and you know the answer. Was this a real battle? Was it? Yes, it was a real battle. And why did it have to be a, re- a real battle? What was it? So people could take sides. Before you fight, you have to decide which side you're going to fight on, don't you? And so all heaven had to choose up. They had to decide which side they were going to be on. And so heaven was marshaled into companies. On one side was the Son of God, and on the other side was Lucifer and his followers. And they had a battle. And what was the result? Yes. What do you think? Now, let's talk a little louder. I can't quite hear you. I 
Well, do, are, do, spirit, do spiritual beings have power? Do they have hands? Do they have... Do, do they, uh, they, we don't understand their kind of bodies, but are they real beings? Why, sure they are. Because they have stature, because we were made a little lower than what? The angels. And angels have hands. They have faces. Angels were made in the image of God. They were real beings. And, well, I doubt if an intellectual battle would have thrown them out of heaven. Do you think it would? I never got into an into a argument with anybody that threw them out of the room. Did you? And they were cast out of heaven, weren't they? Bodily, that's right. All right, who else? Yeah. I think total involvement helped them get a total position. That's right. That's right. And the reason God... Now, could God have just have cast them all out? Could He? But what, would some, what could some of them have said? What? Why well, unfair? I I didn't really intend to fight against you, but when they when they decided who what side they were going to fight on, then what happened? Then they were thrown out. Was there anything anybody could say? And I read from the book Story of Redemption. You remember? Well, this this is what it, uh, this is what Story of Redemption says. I'll read it just like it is. Just like it is. You know, uh, sometimes we want to we rationalize too much on these things because but these were real things. It said. On page 19 of Story of Redemption, then there was war in heaven. There was what? Well, what's a war? The Son of God, the Prince of Heaven, and His loyal angels engaged in conflict. What's conflict? With the arch-rebel and those who united with Him. The Son of God and true loyal angels prevailed, and Satan and his sympathizers were expelled from heaven. They were what? They were expelled. They were expelled. All the heavenly host acknowledged and adored the God of justice. Not a taint of rebellion was left in heaven. All was again... What wasn't, what wasn't left there? There wasn't a taint of rebellion. God cut this thing clean. And the rebellious ones went out of heaven and those that stayed in heaven were not rebellious. All was again peaceful and harmonious as before. Angels in heaven mourned the fate of those who had been their companions in happiness and bliss. Their loss was felt in heaven. Now, the Father consulted the Son in regard to at once carrying out their purpose to make man to inhabit the earth. And this is very significant. Remember that this whole chain reaction in heaven, the rebellion, the casting out, all took place before man was created. Man was created after Lucifer was cast out of heaven. Now we remember we're studying two things. We want to get those because we're going to we're, we want to get those two things. Uh, we're studying the nature of man and what else are we studying? God's purpose in creating him. All right. Now we come to the creation of man, and I read this statement from the Bible Commentary, Volume One, Page Ten Eighty One. It's the third paragraph. It's also the first paragraph in the books. Sons and daughters of God, this very same statement, if you want that reference. All heaven took a deep and joyful interest in the creation of the world and of man. Human beings were a new and distinct order. They were what? A, a new and distinct order. They were made in the image of God, and it was the Creator's design that they should populate the earth. So just remember that we as human beings on this earth are different from any other beings in the universe. We're a new order of being. Now, there are some people who believe that the only human beings have the power of reproduction. I'm not sure that that's true. I, I, I would rather think it is, but I've never found a statement. I do know that God made the human race with the power of reproduction. And there's a very significant reason why he did make them that way. Do you have any idea why God made the human race so that people would be born into it? Huh? Well, to repopulate this, this is right. Uh, but there's something else that's really more significant than that. As I, as I look at the picture. Oh, is it? What were you going to say? Understand God more, huh? That's good. But there's one real significant thing, and I want you to think about this because we're going to discuss it in just a little more detail later. All right? Well, this statement was uh, volume one of the commentary, volume one, page uh, 1081. There's another, and this we should think of as a real significant thing. God knew that his son was going to become a member of the human race, and he had to come into this race just like every other human being comes. 
it was necessary to have a situation so God could become a human being just like every human being becomes a human being. And so there's something real significant in all this. But I don't want to get too much involved in that. We're going to discuss just a little bit about, more about that later. All right, now, the first thing of it, that man was different from other, every other being in the universe. Whatever the difference was, well, we know that man has the power of reproduction, and this is a very important thing because it makes man very much like God. As this sister says, it also put human beings in a situation where they could understand more about God than anyone else because they have children like God has children. This is why it's so important in our family relationship that we understand our relationship with our family because remember that the ruling God of this universe is also a family. There's a father and there's a son and there's a Holy Ghost. You see, there are three members of God's family, his original family. He's going to have a lot more some of these days, or he is getting a lot more. But now, back to the other thing. Uh, the first thing, that, that man was different, and the next was, and I read just a statement or two here from the book Education. It says, when Adam came from the Creator's hand, he bore in his physical, mental, and spiritual nature a likeness to his Maker. All his faculties were capable of development. Their capacity and vigor were continually to increase. Vast was the scope offered for their exercise. Glorious the field open to their research. Face-to-face, heart-to-heart communion with his Maker was his high privilege. Had he remained loyal to God, all this would have been his forever. Through eternal ages he would have continued to gain new treasures of knowledge, to discover fresh springs of happiness, to obtain clearer and yet clearer conceptions of the wisdom, the power, and the love of God. More and more fully would he have fulfilled the object of his creation, more and more fully have reflected the Creator's glory. Man was made a little lower than the angels, but capable of eternal, continual development. Now, when I went to school back as a boy, you know, uh, they used to tell us that uh, they didn't think that we used... uh, 50% 50% of our mental capacity. Well, a few years ago, the Moody Films came out and they, they said they didn't think that we used 1% of our, our, our mental capacity. I want to tell you, folks, I don't believe we use a, a millionth part of our mental capacity. I mean that. Because this first chapter in education says higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for his children. Godliness, God-likeness is a goal to be reached. I can't understand anything about the mind very much, only I I just understand by faith that God has given us a mind that is capable, and I'll read the statement on page 124, I'm going to have to hurry through this, Uh, 124 is a very interesting statement, Uh, this tells about 124 of the book Education, oh that I was reading, I'm sorry, that was the book Education, that was page 15. Man created for fellowship with God can only in such fellowship find real life and development. Now, I don't understand that view, that man was created for what? Fellowship with God. And it said, He who is sincere and teachable spirit studies God's word, seeking to comprehend its truths, will be brought in touch with its author and accept by his own choice. There is no limit to the possibilities of his development. Now, what would you say if, uh, when God says there's no limit to the possibilities of our development? And then on page 172 is this statement. It says, the, the Scriptures tells us it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. A knowledge of this mystery furnishes a key to every other. It opens to the soul the treasures of the universe, the possibilities of infinite development. Of what? You know what that means? Yes. Remember that without God, man is lower than the angels. I mean, when he's creation. You understand he was created lower than the angels. But he was created for what kind of development? Now, I've used this illustration. It's a real crude illustration. If some of you can come up with a better one, I wish you'd tell me about it. Uh, You see, uh, if you had a balloon, and this balloon would never quit stretching and never burst, how big would it get? What would be the limit to its size? Right? Well, uh, what would limit its size? I mean, the universe, yes, but what would limit its size? What you put into it. Well, sure. And man was made to put what in him? God in him. And so what's the limit of our expansion? 
as much as we want to let God into us. You see, I, you know, we have a wonderful mind here. Now, I, ha- I have lots of friends. I have thousands and thousands of friends all over the country. And you know what? When I get a new friend, it doesn't make me lose the old one. Every time I get a new friend, it doesn't change my relationship with my old friends. And did you know what I'm going to do some of these days, folks? I'm going to get to know everybody in this universe. That's right. I like to know people, don't you? Well, we've got time, haven't we? How much time do we have? You know, a boy came to me one day and he said, Brother Martin, I'm worried. I said, what are you worried about? He said, I'm just worried that if I'm saved, the time will come when I can't learn anything more. I said, forget it, son. (laughs) If you have any imagination... See, there are a lot of things I want to do. I, I want to go through the sun sometimes, see what makes it hot. Well, you see, that's kind of silly. Well, no, the sun isn't near as hot as God is. And if I wouldn't burn in God's presence, I wouldn't burn in the sun. See, only sin burns. Now, I'm not trying to be foolish, you understand. I'm just saying, folks, we have no limit to what we can attain to in this life. And think, folks, that here we're going to begin and then we're going to just expand for all eternity. Just think what God has given us the privilege of being. Now, this, this is the nature of man. He is made lower than the angels, but he is made capable of what? What kind of development? Infinite development. Is that big enough for you? All right, that's his nature then. Did God make him so he's capable of accomplishing whatever purpose he has? You see, Lucifer, he was kind of like a pipe, you know. Things run through a pipe, but they don't, they don't swell. At least uh, we don't like to have them because they burst or something like that, you know. We have that problem when they freeze, you know. But uh, man wasn't made like that. He was just made so he could just expand forever. All right, now we, we want to go back. Yes. Well, that, that was uh, education page 172. All right, now the next thing is we were going to study God's purpose in creating man. Now, there are two purposes God have that we're given there. There are probably more, but two I especially want to deal with. Uh, you remember it read in, I read in, this, in the... In the story of redemption, that when Adam and uh, that when uh, Lucifer sinned and was cast out of heaven, what was there in heaven? There was a vacancy. There was a, there was a, there was a void in heaven. Well, now there's something very interesting, and this is page uh, volume seven of the commentary. I'll get the page here in just a minute. Nine hundred forty nine. Volume seven, nine forty nine. Seven BC nine forty nine. Heaven will triumph, for the vacancies made in heaven by the fall of Satan and his angels will be filled by the redeemed of the Lord. And what is one of the purposes God created man? Now this was not the original purpose. This was a secondary purpose because this purpose only became necessary when when Satan was cast out of heaven. There was a vacancy there, and so God created the earth to fill the vacancy in heaven. But God couldn't fill that vacancy in heaven until what, what, what did he have to do first? He had to test people. He couldn't take somebody there and have sin again. He's not going to have sin in heaven anymore. He's had it there once. And so he had to test man. And so man was put on probation. All right? But there is a, another reason. And uh, I read in Education, page 124, that man was created for what? There's another interesting statement in the book, Sons and Daughters of God. And uh, page 34, you'd like, uh, you put this down for your, in your notes so you can look this up too. Sons and Daughters of God is a beautiful book. If you haven't read it, this is a book, uh, I think one of the most wonderful morning watch books that's ever been put out. This says how man can be a counterpart of Jesus Christ. Hey, what? is beyond human comprehension. Man was made for a special relationship with God. Now, the statement that, that really points this out is, is great controversy. Page 484. And I just love this statement because it, it just tells us what God wants to do for us as, a human, as human beings. 484, great controversy. Satan in his efforts to deceive and tempt our race had thought to frustrate the divine plan in man's creation. What, did the, what was the devil trying to do? He was trying to keep man full from fulfilling his destiny. Satan in his efforts to deceive and tempt our race had thought to frustrate the, demi- the, the divine plan in man's creation. But Christ now asks 
that this plan be carried into effect as if man had never fallen. He asked for his people not only pardon and justification full and complete, but a share in his glory and a seat upon his throne. And what? Did you know that human beings were created for the express purpose of sharing the throne of God? We talked about this great universe, this great expanse of space, full of worlds and suns with their teeming innumerable hosts. And in the center is God. And God in his foreknowledge and his wisdom decided that he would, because he knew sin was coming, he would create a special race of beings and he would demonstrate through them his ability to save people from sin. And it was going to be a terrific cost to God. But I want you to know, folks, that the greatest privilege that could ever come to any person that came into this universe is to be born into this little planet Earth. You know, when I was a boy growing up, my father was a preacher and he used to scare me to death. You know, he would preach about Christ coming and all these things and... and uh, I used to think, I didn't understand so many things. I, I just didn't have the comprehension I should have had. And I used to just say, well, why was I ever born in this planet? Why wasn't I born on some of these other planets where they never sinned? But you know, when I began to understand and God began to help me to understand what he's trying to do, why, what a wonderful privilege to be born into the planet Earth. Because we can have a special relationship with God. We're born to be specially related to him. See, this little planet of ours is the battleground of, of eternity. In this book, Sons and Daughters of God, here's another reference I think that you'll, that you'll like. And this, this just spells it right out. This is on page 242. You put this down. I haven't time to touch this very much, but uh, you put this down in your reference, volume uh, I mean, Sons and Daughters, page 242. The fallen world is the battlefield for the greatest conflict the heavenly universe and earthly powers have ever witnessed. It was appointed as the theater on which would be fought out the grand struggle between good and evil, between heaven and hell. Every human being acts a part in this conflict. No one can stand on neutral ground. Men must either accept or reject the world's Redeemer. All are witnesses, either for or against Christ. Christ calls upon all those who stand under his banner to engage in the conflict as faithful soldiers that they may inherit the crown of life. They have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. Christ has left them that his assure, left them his assured promise that great will be the reward in heaven for the, of those who partake of his humiliation and suffering for the truth's sake. The cross of Calvary challenges and will finally vanquish every earthly and hellish power. In the cross, all influence centers. From it, all influence goes forth. It is the great center of attraction. For in it, Christ gave up his life for the human race. This sacrifice was offered for the purpose of restoring man to his original perfection. Yea, more. It was offered to give him an entire transformation of character, making him more than a conqueror. Those who in the strength of Christ overcome the great enemy of God and man will occupy a position in the heavenly courts above the angels who have never fallen. Now, in the book Education, I want to read another statement, and this is, this is the, really the climax of this whole thing. And this is in the chapter, The Teacher Sent from God. Uh, it's on page, it starts on page 73, and it tells that how, how God sent His Son here, and this teacher that He sent, that He was the, he was the one chosen to reveal, humanity, you reveal God to humanity. And it says all the great men of earth were gleams from his ideal. They were, shine, they were gleams from the shining of his glory. But he was the first perfect ideal. Now this statement. To reveal this ideal, this is Christ's life, as the only true standard for attainment. To show what every human being might become. What through the indwelling of humanity by divinity all who received him would become. For this Christ came to the world. He came to this world, folks, to demonstrate what an ideal human being could become. And he came to show what every human being would become if they permitted the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. This is why we should spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of what? Of the life of Christ. 
He's our ideal. And there's something else that really just stretches my mind beyond imagination, and that's this thought, that when the family of God were planning to create the human race, because remember, the human race had been their problem. They knew that man was going to be the, the ones that would sin, and they knew that the plan of salvation would be all worked out around the son of man, around the human race. They planned a race of beings with the ability to develop so that when the Son of God came to this earth and became a human being, as a human being, he could get back to his Father's throne. Didn't he? Is he still a human being? Does he have human nature today? Will he always have human nature? Oh, yes. He'll always be a human being. And when Christ came to this earth and was born into this earth, he was the Son of Mary, but he was also the Son of God. Now, let me just say this much about the nature of Christ. Christ was not exactly like we are. He didn't have a human father and a human mother. He had a human mother, but God was his father. His birth when he came into this earth was the same as our birth when we're born again. You and I are human beings, but we can be born by the Spirit. And that's called a new birth. And then we have, who is our father? God is our father. And then we, become, we belong to the same race that Jesus belonged to. We're human beings with God as our Father. And we have, are capable of what kind of development? Infinite development. Because the whole genius of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you see, folks, when the plan of salvation is completed and human beings take their place on the throne of God, they're going to always be human beings. They're always going to be the, that race that is the connecting link between the Creator and the creature, or between the Creator and the and created beings. We're created beings, but we're born as what? As children of God. This is an actual birth. And we will have the privilege of being the teachers through all eternity, of all the universe, telling them of the wonderful love of God. Because they can't understand it, hardly. They can't understand it, because we have experienced it. So you see, we have a lot to grow into, don't you think we have? The last commentary, last statement in the commentary is a very wonderful statement also. This is volume 7, 990, the last statement in volume 7 of the commentary. Many seem to have the idea that this world and the heavenly mansions constitute the universe of God. Not so. The redeemed throng will range from world to world. Believe what? We're going to be space travelers. We're not going to have to be... We're, we're all going to be astronauts, you know, but we're not going to have to have a, a special machine to travel in. That's, so, that, that's entirely too slow. You see, an angel came to this earth in a matter of just a few minutes. I don't know how much less than that. And it's over 100,000 light years. It's over 100 light years to Orion. And they travel it in a, in a matter of, an angel travel it in a matter of minutes. Is that pretty fast traveling? Well, we'd have to travel fast to travel around the universe, wouldn't we? But the redeemed throng are going to range from what? World to world. And much of their time will be employed in searching out the mysteries of redemption. Do you know that as we, as we have the privilege of traveling throughout this universe for all eternity, the farther we go, the more we see, the more we're going to realize how much we cost because the creator of all worlds came to this earth and became a man that we might have life. And throughout the whole stretch of eternity, this subject will continually be open to their minds. The privileges of those who overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony are beyond comprehension. So I just want to say that to have been born into this planet is the greatest privilege that could ever come to any being. And you see, you and I are going to decide whether we're jewels being polished for the kingdom of God or whether we're just sand polishing the jewels. Is that right? We're either going to be jewels or we're just going to be sand polishing the jewels. I want to be more than sand, don't you? All right. The next class, what we're going to study, and I'll give you something that you can do a little research in, the next, the next study is going to be to study the object of our creation in a little different way. The object of our creation and the object of education, the object of redemption is what? What did we say it was? 
This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. Our next study in education is going to be how we can come to know God better. Because this is the first thing we have to learn in education as to what? It's to know God. So, uh, now I don't want to take all the time. I, I hope I can uh, get through a little early. I had an extra microphone here today, but I just used up all the time, you see. And I want to give you folks a chance to express yourself or ask questions because we're in this, we're in this class for just one purpose to learn the science of salvation and to learn the, to learn the true science of education that we might fulfill our destiny. And what's our destiny? To share the throne and the glory of God. Our primary purpose was what? That we were to have a special relationship with God. And we're going to have it in spite of sin. Aren't you glad of that? This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.